0: This morning, I want to look at Psalm chapter 37, and I want to bring a message to you called alignment. Alignment. I don't know what you think of when you hear that word alignment, but I have kind of a mental picture in my head. If there's something that you immediately think of when you hear the word alignment, I want you to take a picture of that in your mind, put it away for just a few moments because I want to come back to that. But I want to talk about alignment today from Psalm chapter 37. 37. You know, back in the 20th century, the earlier part of the 20th century, there was a pastor. He was also kind of a theologian and a lecturer in Germany. He was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's very influential in the the world of faith over the last 100 years. But Bonhoeffer was a really interesting guy. He was not without controversy. He was kind of a controversial figure at times. But the one thing that made his life significant was that he stood up in opposition to Nazism in Germany nearly 100 years ago. He stood up in the face of oppression against the Jews that was being implemented by Hitler and by the Nazis. And he stood up as a pastor and as a leader of men. And he said, this is wrong, this oppression and this genocide that you're trying to take out on the Jewish people. And as he stood up and stood in his faith, he was later arrested. He was taken to a concentration camp. And he later lost his life because he stood up for the things in which he believed. He was a martyr. But Bonhoeffer really lived his life very interestingly. And the reason I mentioned him this morning, it's almost coincidental because this is Memorial Day weekend where we celebrate and remember the people that laid their lives down. But there was a quote that Bonhoeffer had many, many years ago that has outlived him that I think encapsulated his life. And this is what the quote says. Bonhoeffer said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Discipleship, or excuse me, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you Your life. I think if I were to take what Bonhoeffer said and try to paraphrase it into my own words, I would say it to you like this today. The love of God, the grace of God is unconditional. It will always be available to you all the days of your life. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you might feel from God today. There is good news. The love of God and the grace of God is unconditional and it will always be available to each and every person that is here today. Can somebody say amen to that? That's good news. what's interesting is we love the first half of that salvation is free, but the second half, well, that's a little bit more complicated because discipleship will cost you your life. What we see later on is that when Jesus calls his disciples, he doesn't just say, come and follow me. He says, take up your cross, count the cost of what it's going to take to follow me and come and follow me. Jesus said that we find out later on in the new Testament that if we want to follow Christ, it's going to be God continually making us into the image of Christ. Which means that right now I recognize I'm not there yet. And God has to work out a few things in me if He wants to make me into the image of Christ. Salvation is free, but discipleship might cost us our life. Well, there's some good news today. If you want to walk in a relationship with God, God wants to bestow blessings into your life, God wants to pour out His favor into your life. I even believe from Scripture that God wants to bring about godly prosperity into your life. And here's the thing salvation is free. But the blessing of God, the favor of God, and godly prosperity for your life just might cost you something. Because God is continually wanting us to give up our desires so that we can take on the things that he wants to give us. Now, with that said today, I want to look at Psalm chapter 37, and I want to walk through a very brief passage of scripture. I had a few verses to go through, but there's no way I'm going to get through all of them today. So I probably want to focus on three, three or four verses today. And I think it's important that we look at this because we need to understand that trusting in God is the thing that unlocks God's blessing for our life. Starting in verse three of Psalm 37, this is what it says. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. The King James Version says, Dwell in the land and you will be fed. Now, I don't know how many of you know this verse of Scripture, but I love the opening phrase in this verse because it sure makes following Jesus sound really simple. Listen to this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Doesn't that sound easy? Like, what if that was the lesson for the day? Okay, everybody, here we go. You ready for this? Trust in the Lord and do good. Everybody got that? All right, you can close your Bibles. Thank you, Father, for the word today. We're going to trust in you and we're going to do good. It's not that simple because trusting in the Lord and doing good is something that's not easy for us. Trusting in the Lord is something that's a process that we have to learn to walk out. How many people here have teenage kids? I remember when I was 16 and I got my driver's license, I wanted, I wanted my parents to allow me to go places that I couldn't previously go by myself, but they set parameters for me with a car and with a driver's license. They set a curfew for me when, for the times in which I had to be home. There were certain rules and regulations they put around me to protect me. And I would be like, come on, why don't you trust me? And my parents would always say this. They would say, trust isn't given, trust is earned. How many people heard that one before? Trust isn't given, trust is earned. Listen, I got a two year old at home and I'm scared of the day that I have to turn over car keys to my daughter and entrust her with a car. And here's why. It's not because I don't believe that she'll become a trustworthy young woman. It's because I'm afraid of the idea of letting go of control of her safety. Control, that's a hard thing for us to let go of. I saw a video this week that I thought really wrapped this up pretty good, and I want to talk a little bit more about it in a second, but I think you guys will enjoy it. Check out this video real quick. Today we have something extra special for you guys and you guys will be some of the first people outside of our team and outside of Google to ever ride in it. It was a big decision for us to go and start building our purpose-built vehicles for this. And really they're they're prototype vehicles. They were a chance for us to, to explore what does it really mean to have a self-driving vehicle. But in the small amount of time we've been working on it, you know, we have functional prototypes and that's exciting. Um it's really cool. It was like really kind of a space age experience. Oh, okay. Great. We're like come here. You said, relax. You don't need to do nothing. It knows when it need to stop. It knows when it need to go. <laughs> it actually rides better than my own car. Yes, sure. <laughs> what she really liked was that it slowed down before it went around a curve and then accelerated in the, in curve. the curve. She's always trying to get me to do, do it that way. That's the way I learned in a <laughs> high school driver's ed. <laughs> So if I had a self-driving car, I could spend more time hanging out with my kids or helping them with their homework, even just tending to them, finding out how their day was and not having to wait till you get home and have dinner and all that, so it'll be good. Human feeling of it is very well engineered and it is very smooth. There's nothing that makes you feel the least bit threatened. It's impressive. I'm I'm totally in love with this whole concept. (laughs) Our, Our lives are made up of lots and lots of little things. And a lot of those little things, for most people, have to do with getting from place to place in order to connect and do things, be with people, go places that they need to go and do things. And uh, so there's a big part of my life that's missing. And there is a big part of my life that a self-driving vehicle would bring back to me. This is a first step for us. uh, And it's really exciting to see the progress we've made. The opportunity for people to just move around and, and not worry about it, it's going to be incredibly empowering and incredibly powerful for people. I love this. <laughs> All right, now, if you've never seen that before, that is the video of what's called the Google Self Prototype. It's a self-driving car. I don't know how many people are familiar with this technology. It's being developed by many different automakers, but if you're not familiar with this, one of the things that you might be surprised to find out is that that video is actually two years old. It was shot in 2014. They've progressed even further. And today, many of the leading automakers in the world, including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Tesla, all have this self-driving vehicle capability that's built into their cars that will actually turn itself, speed itself up, slow itself down. And it's really interesting. I was watching that and I was thinking there's probably somebody here today that's like, see, it's in the book of Revelation. Computers and robots are taking over the world. I'm gonna go home and start your doomsday prepping today. Just relax, God's in control, it's all good. But the reason I wanted to show that to you today was because I was really interested as I watched that video to see people's reactions. Have you noticed that every single reaction in that video was super upbeat and very positive? Everybody had a great time riding around in the self-driving vehicle. I'm sure it was edited to give you all of the good news, to give you all of the good feedback, and to give you all of the good experience. But as I watched that video three or four times, I begin to realize that that video was shot on a closed course. And the reason why is because there's no such thing as a street legal, fully autonomous self-driving car that drives itself without somebody inside the car to operate it. There's no such thing as that yet. So as I watched it, I began to realize that everybody's experience was good because it was a closed course and it was a relatively safe and enjoyable experience. So if they had called me and they said, Zach, we want you to come and be one of the first people to ride in the Google self on a closed course, I would have been like, sweet. That sounds awesome. I'll sign up for that. That sounds like a good time. I want to check out the self-driving vehicle. However, if they had called me up and said, Zach, we want to send you the very first person ever to ride in the self-driving vehicle cross country from California all the way to New York. Are you up for that? I would have been like, there ain't no way in the world I'm going to be the first person to try that. And the reason why is because life isn't made up of closed courses. The time comes We get out into real life and we hit the open road and we hit the highway and we have to trust that everything's going to work out. There's no way that I would be the first person to get in that car and sign up to go cross country and just expect and trust that that car is going to slow down when traffic in front of me slows down when we're going 75 miles an hour. There's no way I'm going to be the first person to get in that car and just trust that it's going to slow down before we get a 90 degree turn. There's no way I'm gonna be the first person to get in that car when it malfunctions halfway to New York. And I'm like, what in the world am I gonna do here in the middle of America? Why? Because in order for me to do that, I have to completely 100% relinquish all trust. Now, maybe the self-driving car doesn't hit home for you. Let me just talk to everybody else for a minute here, okay? How many control freaks do we have in the house? Come on, I know I'm hitting home with some people and I love the honest people right now who are raising your hand. I've never thought of myself as a control freak, but just the other day, I had an experience that told me that I am a control freak. I got in the car as my wife was driving and I sat in the passenger seat. Now, before ever, I know what you're saying. Not many people laugh because you're like, he's about to get in trouble for what he's gonna say about his wife's driving. Let me just say right now, my wife is a very good driver. I trust her with my life and our child's life. It's all good. I'll get in the car and ride with her anytime. It's not about how good of a driver she is. It's about how much I'm willing to trust the way that she drives. Have you ever gotten the car with somebody else and when you watch the way they drive and found out it was different from the way you drive, you realized you were a control freak? Like she starts to get a little bit closer to the car in front of us than I would be comfortable with getting. So immediately, what do I do? But guess what? There's no brake pedal on my side of the car. Or we'll sit there in the middle of a conversation, and what I realize is that I don't like how fast the car in front of us is going. They seem to be going a little bit too slow, and if I was in control, what I would do is I would step on the gas, I would steer the car this way, I would go around that guy, and I would move on to my destination. But instead of being able to sit there and go, come on, let's go faster, my wife's the one that's in control, and there ain't no gas pedal for me to step onto. And what I began to realize as I'm driving in the car, or not driving, but riding in the car with her, is that I am a control freak. Because each and every one of us have a desire in our lives to be the one who is holding on to the steering wheel and determining the direction in which we are going. And one of the hardest things that most of us have to learn how to do when we start a walk with God is to let go of the steering wheel and trust that he knows where he's taking us. Now listen, I know some people right now hear that and you're like, so are you saying that we don't have any, any say in where we go? No, we absolutely do. It's all about our trust. I'm not saying that God takes away your free will. We believe in free will. I believe that God gives every single person the choice of who it is that you're going to entrust your destination to. But I say all this to you today because we all have to resist the urge to be in control of everything if we want to go to the destination that God has for our life. Can someone say amen this morning? Now, with all of that said, there's a control freak inside of all of us. And if we, can, if we can choose to let go of that control freak, that right to determine our outcome, to determine our course of action, to determine how fast or how slow we get there, what we will find is that God will get us to the place that he desires for us to go, and we will be fulfilled. One of the things I've found about God as I've been walking with him over these last few years is that sometimes I can see the traffic ahead of me slowing down and coming to a halt. And what I'll do is I'll say, God... I want to get around this thing, that I, this obstacle that I see in front of me. So what do I want to do? I want to turn the wheel and go this way. I want to step on the gas. I want to go around this problem. But isn't it funny how sometimes God allows you to walk through traffic jams? And I think the reason why he does that is because God knows that there's something about the traffic jam that's in front of us that's going to make us into somebody better than who we were before we went through it. See, God allows us to walk through some difficult times sometimes, and we might not like that, but God is with us in the middle of the traffic jam that's in front of us that we have to go through because he wants to shape us into something that only that traffic jam will make us into. See, there's something about the obstacles that you might be facing right now that God realizes, look, this is something that's going to shape you into a better person. It's going to make you into who I want you to be, but you need to be willing to go through it because don't worry, I'm with you. And if you're going through a traffic jam today, if you're going through something, if you're being stalled, if you're going through something that you didn't see coming, something that you would rather avoid, but you feel like God is allowing you to walk through it anyway, take heart because he's with you. And what he has on the other side of your traffic jam is is something that you couldn't be if you didn't go through it with him. So I want to encourage you in that today. But it's interesting because when we see these obstacles, we always want to be the ones to control where we go, how quickly we get there. Notice how often we want to speed up the process with God. God, I feel like you put this dream in my heart and I know you're going to get me there. So forget about these obstacles. Let's speed this thing up, hurry up along the way and get there. But God is a God of process. Time ain't no big deal to God. Sometimes you and I just get in a hurry, but we have to be willing to let go of the control freak that's living inside each and every one of us. Now, that's the reason why I say trust in the Lord and do good isn't always that easy because trust means that we have to let go of control. Now, I want to look at the second part of this verse now. Look at what the second part of verse 3 says in Psalm 37. It says, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. You might wonder what it is that's so significant about this thought of dwelling in the land. Well. See, this isn't a, a, a psalm of worship or a psalm of praise. It's actually a teaching psalm. And you look at what David is saying in this psalm. He's actually giving instruction to the people of Israel. When he says dwell in the land, he is talking specifically about the promised land that the Israelites were to inhabit. Now, if you know your Old Testament, then you understand that God had promised this land, this Canaan land, to the Israelites. And when he had identified where that land was, they had to go into it. But when they got there, they found out that it was already inhabited. And once they finally took possession of it, there were always people who wanted to come in and fight them to take over that land. Or maybe they would come in and lose the battle, so therefore they became slaves in their own land. Or maybe they were in captivity. But Israel was always fighting for this land that God had promised them. Now you might say, I'm not too familiar with the Old Testament. I don't quite understand what that means to me. This is what it means to each one of us today. God has a promised land for each and every one of our lives. God has a destination, a land that he wants you to inhabit in your lifetime that he has promised to you. It's specifically for you. And the command today that we see in this is dwell in the land. Now, you might wonder why that's significant. Here's why. Because the Israelites, when they got to the land that God promised them, they arrived and were surprised to find out that in order for them to dwell in it and inhabit it, they were going to have to fight for it. How many people felt like God has made a promise to you or called you to something, and when you began to set out to accomplish that thing, you found out that you were going to have to fight for it? Anybody? Anybody? That happens all the time. And can I tell you why it happens? Because the enemy does not want you to possess the promised land that God has given you. God has promised a land to you, but there's an enemy. His name is the devil who does not want you to take hold of the promises of God. And so the Israelites continually had to fight this battle to inhabit and fully dwell in their land. And you have to understand it would be like you living in your home, but every single day you're having to fight to maintain that home. So therefore you never feel comfortable because you're always in a consistent, constant battle that you're fighting for the place that you live. That's how the Israelites felt. And so David gives this, this command, do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Now, when it comes to dwelling in the land, I think it's important for each and every one of us to understand a few things about the promised land that God has given us. Maybe for you today, the promised land that God has given you is the business that you've started recently or you started a few years ago. I felt in my heart to talk about this for just a minute when, I, when we got to this part of the message. Maybe for you, you set out to build a business a few years ago, or you started off into a new career path and you felt like God was saying, man, I'm opening the door for you. Take this path, chase after this, go after this. But maybe it hasn't taken off the way that you thought it would. And when you set out to inhabit this land or dwell in this land that you felt God had promised to you, it didn't go the way you thought it would. And suddenly you found yourself in a fight. Maybe that's something that's happening to you today. I think one of the things that Christians do all the time is we find ourselves in the place that we felt like God has promised us, but as soon as we find out that there's a fight, we just wanna pack up and go home and say, I'm over it. I don't even wanna mess with it. Maybe this isn't the promised land that God had for me. In fact, it looks nice over there. Maybe that's God's promised land. I wanna tell you something. I don't wanna be the kind of Christian that is continually looking for my promised land because I never dwelt in the one God promised me in the first place. How many people have ever heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side? The grass is always greener on the other side. That's a phrase that we hear in the world, but the truth is I think it's very accurate in the Christian church world today too, and I'll tell you why. Because I think there are so many of us that when we see God has promised us a land, we get there and we look around and we say, well, God, I don't like the color of this grass. And God, this isn't flourishing and I'm not being as fruitful as I thought I was gonna be because you promised me that land. And I'm having to fight for your abundance. I'm having to fight for your provision. I'm having to fight for this land that you've promised me. Well, this must not be the land that you promised me. And we start to look around and we say, well, the grass sure does look greener over there. I can't tell you how many people I've met over the last 10 years of my life who will say all the time, man, God's called me to be here. God has just called me. And I just felt like God really opened my eyes and he said, this is the spot for me right here. And when things didn't go as quickly as they planned, when things didn't go as well as they planned, when they didn't flourish overnight quickly the way that they thought they would, they give up the fight and they say, well, the grass looks like it's greener over there. And they're continually running to different places where the grass appears to be greener. Can I tell you something today? The grass is green where it's watered. And right now you might be going through a really difficult season where you feel like, man, did God really tell me this? Because it doesn't seem like it's working out the way I thought. You might be in a season where you're like, man, i got to fight for this business. Man, i got to fight for my marriage. Man, i got to fight for my kids. And you're sitting there wondering, God, is this really what you've asked me to do? But the thing that we have to understand is that we must stay planted. We must submit ourselves to the process. We must continually be watered by the word of God. We must continually be watered by fellowship with the Holy Spirit because God wants to flourish us in the place that we're planted. And and I'll tell you something else. I don't ever want to be one of those people that's continually searching after green pastures when God's looking down like, dude, what are you looking for when I told you what the promised land was a long time ago? Sometimes it's going to be a fight. And sometimes the grass and the fruit doesn't spring up and be as green as we want it to overnight. But that's all part of the process. That's why when we get to the rest of this verse, when he says, dwell in the land and feed on my faithfulness, we have to understand that even if we're going through a difficult situation and a difficult season and we can't quite see the end of it, it's his faithfulness that we must learn to feed on. If you're in a tough season right now and you're wondering, God, where are you? I didn't think it was gonna go like this. You need to stay planted where you're at and find out that God is faithful to his promises. If you submit yourself to the promise, then that's when we begin or to the process, that's when we begin to inherit the promises of God. I was thinking a little bit about this this week. I don't know how many of you, my wife talked to Chick Connection a few weeks ago about this and kind of outed me on this, but one of our favorite shows to watch on TV, how many have seen the show Fixer Upper on HGTV? I love this show. Okay, I'm just gonna tell you straight up, me and my wife watch this show all the time. And you know, I've said this before, one of the things we really wanted to buy a house, we're not quite there yet, I'm all right with it, God's got it all planned out. That's okay. But here's what's funny is I'll watch this show and I'm seeing these people who get into these fixer uppers. And one of the things that they they say at the beginning of the show, do you have the guts to take on a fixer upper? And Ashley and I are always like, yes. And I'll watch the show and there's these people that buy a house for like $100,000 and dump another $100,000 into it. And pretty soon they got this like beautiful palace of a home. Back in the middle of Texas. Now, this is what greener pastures always do to you. You always look and say, well, that means I need to move to Texas because a house is so much more affordable. We should move there. Man, it looks beautiful there. Man, the grass looks so much greener there than it does here. It just sure seems like those people have all kinds of favor. Housing's cheap. It seems like you could go there and just get whatever you want. Except there's one problem. God's called me here, not there. And if I'm in the place that God has called me, if I feel like I'm standing in the promised land, but I'm not fully inhabiting it, and I'm not fully dwelling in this land that he's promised me, and I'm looking around for greener pastures, then maybe I'm not doing enough to water the place in which I'm planted. I feel like my life passage is Psalm chapter 92, which says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Sorry, I love that passage. It's my life passage. It says that we'll be like palm trees, we'll be like the cedars of Lebanon, we'll bear fruit even in old age. That passage changed my life when I got a hold of it and I planted myself in God's house. But I say it to you today because there are thousands of species of, tree, species of trees in this world, many of which if they are uprooted and transplanted, it takes up to seven years for that tree to put it, its roots back down and begin to bear fruit again. And a lot of us get so dissatisfied with the place that God has asked us to plant our lives because we don't like how quickly we're, we're flourishing. So what do we do? We uproot and we go from place to place thinking that the grass is always greener somewhere else. And we're expecting to see our life flourish. And God's like, yeah, but all I asked you to do was be planted and you'd see your life flourish. See, we always want the thing that God wants to give us, but we hardly ever wanna submit to the process that he's asking us to submit to. But on the other side of that process is blessing that you can't even get your head around, my friends. And if you'll submit to the process that God has in front of you, you'll see the blessing of God on the other side of it. But we trust in the Lord, we do good, we dwell on the land, And we need supply. Who do we look to? We look to him and we feed on his faithfulness. Now, I want to keep going this morning because I don't want to run out of time. But verse 4 is probably one of the most memorized and significant verses in all the Bible. This is what it says in verse 4 of Psalm 37. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many people got that one memorized? Delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Of your heart. All right, here's what we're going to do. Let's take that verse of Scripture and cut it in half. All right? The first part says, Delight yourself in the Lord. The second half says, And he will give you the desires of your heart. I think the reason why so many of us love that verse is because of what the second half says. He will give us the desires of our heart. Man, the God of the universe, the creator of all, wants to give me the desires of my heart. Yes, he does. And here's the thing there's good news today. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He does. That's good news. If God's put something deep in your heart that you feel is a promised land or a promise from God for you, here's the thing. God wants to give it to you, but it's going to be walking out a process in order to get there. And the process looks like delight yourself in the Lord. Now, when we use that word delight, here's the interesting thing. The word delight sounds like a warm, nice, fuzzy word. Delight myself in the Lord. I'm just going to enjoy spending time with Jesus and praying and reading the Bible. That word delight, if you go back to the original writings, literally what it means is to be pliable in the hands of the Lord. To be pliable in the hands of the Lord. Think of it like clay or play It was Isaiah who actually said that, God, you're the potter and I'm the clay. Think of it like that for a moment. When you take that Play-Doh out of the can, it's shaped the shape of the can. But in order to get it into the shape that you want it to be, you gotta take that thing and you gotta massage through it. You gotta iron out a few things. You gotta take off some of the rough edges. You gotta round that thing out and circle it out a little bit in order to shape it into what you want it to be. And it takes a little bit of time to do it. How many people here like to get a massage? Some of you are like, ooh, massage, Memorial Day weekend. That sounds good. I'm not really up for massages. I don't, I'm just not into the idea of like someone just putting their hands all over me. Like if my wife wants to do that, I'm good with it, but I'm not sure about going to the masseuse, you know what I mean? I'm just being honest. You feel the same way about your wife, so anyway. But I can't really get down with that. But here's the interesting thing. Every time I talk to somebody that loves a massage, so many of my friends that like to go get a massage, this is what they always say. The best massages are the ones that hurt just a little bit. Because they work out all those rough things that are going on your back, and it messes with your posture, and it kind of changes what's happening. And you walked in with these knots in your back and these knots in your neck, but when you walk out, you feel like a new man. But anybody found out that a good massage is sometimes a little bit painful? Because it takes a little bit of pressure to work out that stuff that's knotting you up in your back. See, in order for us to become everything that God wants, we have to choose to submit ourselves to be pliable and the hands of God. And here's the reality of that. Delighting ourselves in the Lord isn't always the easiest task because what it means is, God, I'm making myself available to you to work out all those rough edges around me, to work out all those knots that you see in me that are imperfections, the stuff that you want to get rid of, the stuff that you want to get out. Now, when I talk about desires this morning, if you look at what that word literally means, it means your wishes, your prayers, your petitions. That literally what it means, your desires, your wants. But I want to talk about it in this context for just a moment. I want to talk about our destinations because I believe that God has put destinations in each each one of our hearts and it's a promised land for all of us. And when I think about delighting myself in the Lord and I think about asking him to work out and being pliable in his hands, work out that rough things that are going on in my life, one of the things I've learned over the last 10 or 12 years is that when I make myself pliable in the hands of the Lord in order to receive the desires of my heart, somewhere along the way in that process, God begins to change my desires. Anybody found that? I'll never forget when I first started walking with God, I really felt like I was called to be a worship leader and a worship pastor. I'd done that when I was a teenager. I thought I was pretty good at it. I thought that God had gifted me to do that. I'll never forget as I started walking with God and really just submitting to the process of what he had for my life, what I began to find was that God was really opening my eyes and just calling me on the inside of my heart to preach the Bible, to preach the gospel. And that was a desire that began to grow inside of me. And at first, I didn't think that that was the primary deal. I thought, now that's secondary. God might open some doors to do that. And then a couple years later, I met my friend Graham, who's one of the most talented worship leaders, worship pastors I've ever met in my life. The dude is unbelievably, amazingly gifted beyond what my giftings are. And when I met him and I saw what God's calling was on his life and what God's anointing was on his life, I automatically realized that God has so totally not called me to be a worship pastor because I can't do what he can do. But I began to submit myself to the process and as I submitted myself to the process and I served in God's house, and I did a lot of medial tasks that didn't seem to be that important, but I was just available, and I was constantly there for God to work on me and to open my eyes to what he had for my future. And as he began to speak to me and show me what he had for my life, the day came that there was opportunity to stand before God's people and bring the word. And I want to tell you, there is nothing more fulfilling in my life than getting to do this. Nothing. Because something happens to us when we recognize that if we want to get the desires of our heart, we have to submit ourselves to the process. But what we don't find out until we get there is that God starts to change our desires. And his desires become our desires. Here's another good example of this. About three, I guess four years ago now, Ashley and I hadn't been married all that long. And we would come out to visit my parents out here a lot. Or sometimes. And we would come out here and we began to have a conversation about potentially coming out here and coming on staff here at the church. But before we ever had that conversation, Ashley and I had come out here a couple of times and I said to Ashley one time, I said, do you think you could ever see us moving to Marietta and being a part of the bridge? And Ashley literally looked at me and say, there is no way in the world I'm moving to Marietta. And I told first service this, I don't know what it is about people from LA County and Orange County. They feel like the other side of Riverside County line is like enemy territory. Like we're weird people here or something, but. Over time, God began to work on our hearts. And I want to tell you something, that for the first couple years, three years of our marriage, man, we were volunteers. We had a pastoral role in our church, and we were doing everything that we could to be pliable in the hands of God. And it meant having some really tough days where well, we were busy with work and we were busy with church and we wake up on Monday hurting because of how late we stayed out on Sunday night after church and everything we were giving ourselves to and team meetings and small groups and all this stuff. And after a while we were worn out and we were so tired, but the whole time we were, we were giving ourselves into the hand of God and being pliable in his hand. And as God began to work on our desires, I'll never forget when I reached this place where I felt like I was at the end of my road. And I'm like, God, you need to open up some new doors. You need to bring about some new opportunities. There was this country song that I used to listen to all the time. And in the words of the song, it would say, I'll go anywhere with you. And I bought it one day and I sent it as a gift. Like you can email it to Ashley. So I sent it to her and I was like, listen to this song. I was like, babe, I'll go anywhere with you as long as you're there. And as long as God has a purpose for us, I'll go anywhere. I'll do it because I want what he wants. His desires have become my desires. I'll never forget the day that I finally came home from work, stressed out, tired, worn down. And Ashley looks at me and she says, I'll go. I'll go wherever God wants us to go. I'll tell you something that was a really, really difficult decision for us. But over time, God had begun to work on our hearts. And when the opportunity came about for us to come out here, we knew it was the right thing. We knew it was the right thing. Can I tell you today, we are so incredibly happy to be here. And the reason why is because we knew that there was purpose attached to that decision. And when we made ourselves pliable in the hands of God, his desires began to become our desires. And suddenly when we took on what he wanted, it was easy for us to get on board too. I tell you all that today, and I asked you earlier at the beginning of this message, what do you think of when you think of that word alignment? I don't know what you think of, but when I hear the word alignment, I think of a car. That's pretty obvious from the graphic that we have on the screen today. But when I think about a car, it makes me think back to a few years ago, I was driving a little Honda. I had this Honda Civic that I drove, and there was this one point where I, let's just say I hadn't done a very good job of maintaining it. And... um, the alignment got really bad on the front end of the car. Has anybody ever had to have your alignment fixed on your car? What was crazy is I would get in the car and if I didn't hold onto the steering wheel, I would press on the gas pedal and the car would want to go to the right. So I'm continually having to force it to go to the left. And it was this constant battle that the car wants to go this way, but I want to go that way. And see the whole idea behind the alignment of a car, see the back wheels are stationary. They're not going anywhere. They're right there. They're forced to go that direction. They're at the mercy of the alignment of the front end of the car. And so in order for the car to perform at optimum level, what you need is the whole thing to be completely aligned so that when you tell it to do something, it does exactly what you want. And if things are in alignment, then you can get there the most efficient way possible. But I think for a lot of us, when we think about this concept and this idea of alignment, one of the things that we immediately realize is that sometimes God wants us to get into his car and take us to a destination that maybe we didn't sign up for in the beginning. When God starts to show us what he has for our lives, that doesn't always go in agreement with what, of our, what a lot of our fleshly desires are. But as God begins to work on our heart, what we see is God has a better plan than we have for ourselves. And his destination is better than any destination we could ever create for ourselves. Can anybody say amen to that? And one of the things that I'm finding over time is that in order for me to get to the place that God wants me to go, I have to align my life with his direction, with his purpose, let go of the steering wheel, take my foot off the gas pedal, and let go of that desire and that tendency to always want to pump the brakes when things get difficult. And the reason why is because if I can align my life with God, I will get to the ultimate destination that he has for my life. I'll never forget when I took my Honda in to get worked on, I told the guy in the shop that day, I said, listen, here's the thing. I feel like my alignment's really messed up. And so we took it for a little drive. He goes, dude, your alignment's really messed up. I said, well, how much is it gonna cost to fix it? He goes, well, it's gonna cost this much money. He goes, but you got one other problem here too. I said, what's that? He goes, your back tires seem to be in great shape. He said, but because the alignment on your car has been so messed up, it has taken and added an added and extra wear and tear on your front tires. And now you don't just need to get your alignment fixed, but you need to buy new front tires. And I look back on that experience and one of the things I've learned is that the longer I choose to go against God's direction for my life, the greater wear and tear it takes on me and the higher price that I have to pay if I want to get back in line with what God has for me. I don't know how many people have experienced this, but sometimes when you've identified what God's direction is for your life, but you choose to go against the grain, you pay a high price later on to get back in line and find the purpose that God has for your life. And if you're here today and you feel like God's always called me to do this one thing, but my biggest battle is that God wants me to go this way, but I feel like I'm always pushing against it and going the other. Can I tell you today two words that will really help you to find fulfillment in your life? Give up. Stop fighting against the direction that God has for your life. Get in alignment with what he has for you because the destination that he has for your life is greater than any destination you could ever create for yourself. I think back to the times that I would get behind the wheel of that car and if I had to drive like 45 minutes or an hour, I'm constantly trying to steer the car to the left, even though it wants to go to the right. I get out of the car and my arms are tired from having to steer the car in the other direction. I want to tell you, when we fight against the direction that God has for our life and when we're not in alignment with his direction, it takes, a, it takes a toll on our emotions. It takes a toll on us spiritually. It takes a toll on us mentally because we're continually going against God's very best for our life. What we have to understand is that if we want want God to give us the desires of our heart, we have to submit to the process of being pliable in his hands. Sometimes that means letting go of the steering wheel. Sometimes that means letting go of that desire to pump the brakes when God's asking you to step out in faith. Sometimes that means letting go of the desire to step on the gas and get through this process quicker. God is a God of processes. I don't always understand it, but what I know is that when I get to the other side of the process, I'll understand it a whole lot better because I'm gonna be a better person on the other side of that than who I was before I started. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be pliable in the hands of God and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Very last thing I'll say this morning in closing, when I think back to, you know, My decision to follow Christ and get serious with God. I've been really impressed lately with Pastor Corey, who's our youth pastor. He's in with our students right now, but I love some of the things that I've heard Pastor Corey say to our students because lately he's been telling our students, he says, listen, you might not know know what to say to your friends if you wanna share the gospel with them. You might not have the words and you might feel inadequate, but what you do have is your story. You have your story and you can tell your story of what God did for you to other people and it will have such an impact on their lives that they will see the difference in you and it'll bring them closer to God. And I feel like I've told my story so many times, but sometimes I come back to it and I feel like that's what I've got. That's what God's given me. The greatest fulfillment I've ever found in my life is when I stopped trying to go in my own direction and I just submitted to the direction that God wanted me to go. When I gave up the fight, When I submitted, when I let go of that desire to be in control of the wheel, to speed up the process, to slow it down, when I aligned myself with the things that God had put in my heart and the direction that he wanted me to go, counted the cost, and followed him, that was when I found ultimate fulfillment. I want to tell you, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, he said that if you being evil want to give good gifts to your children, then imagine how good the gifts are that your heavenly father wants to give to you. God has good gifts in store for you, but he's gonna ask that you submit to the process of going through it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Can I pray for you this morning? Father, I thank you for your house. I thank you, Jesus, that you've given us purpose and a reason to be together today. God, if there's anybody that's here today that feels as though they've been fighting against the plan that you have for their life, God, I pray that you would open their eyes. when I say give up, I'm not saying give up the walk or give up the path, but that they would give up and lay aside their own desires to take on alignment with you and find the destination, the promised land that you have for their lives. Father, if there's people here today that feel as though they need to give some things up in order to do that, I pray that you would identify those things to them right now. You would encourage them to act upon those things even this week, even today, even tomorrow so that we can be in perfect alignment with you. Maybe today when you think about your own life you feel like you're far from God. If I asked you if you were in alignment with God and having a relationship with him you would say I don't feel as though I'm aligned with God. I want to tell you that God loved just so much that he gave his own son to come down and die a death that we deserve to pay for our sin. He loved just so much That after Jesus died, he raised him from the dead so that you and I would have purpose for our lives. We would know hope for all of eternity and we would be able to go forward without sin stopping us from having a relationship with God. If today you feel like you don't have a relationship with God, I want to tell you that you can step into a perfect, fulfilling relationship with God and all you have to do is say a simple prayer and believe it with everything inside of you. I would love to introduce you to Jesus today. If you've never done that before, maybe you're here today and you need to recommit your ways and your life to God. I wanna encourage you to do that today and we do it by saying a simple prayer. There's nothing special about my words. What's special is your commitment behind those words in your heart. If you're here today and you wanna commit your life to Jesus or you wanna recommit your life to Jesus, we're gonna pray together and I wanna ask everybody together if you would pray and say these words after me. Say, dear Jesus, today I thank you for taking my place on the cross. Thank you for cleansing me of all my sin, for giving me hope in this life and security for all of eternity. I choose to walk with you. I give you my life. I want the best of what you have for me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, this is a room full of people that have made that decision at one point in their life or maybe they even came back to Jesus later on. I want to tell you today, if you made that decision, we would love to help you in any way that we can. The easiest, simplest way that we do that is we would love to put something in your hand. It's a free gift from us to you just to help you start walking this out. And it's a small book. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's more than a book. It's nothing that we need to sell you on. It's a free gift. It's just something for us to help you start walking. Out your relationship with God, but we want to give it to you. Simple book. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams right down here. If you come up to one of these prayer teams, let them know, hey, today I made a decision in my heart to follow Christ and I want to get the book. They'll give you the book. It's a free gift. They don't need anything from you, but maybe you're here today and you got something going on in your life. You need someone to pray with you. That's why our prayer teams are here. I want to encourage you, come down, have someone pray with you. We'd love to have someone stand with you and just agree with you for God's best. Maybe you need to go quickly today and you made a decision. I want to encourage you, stop by the Connection Center. That's the big circle outside in the middle of the foyer. Just let them know, today I made a decision and I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. It's a free gift. They don't need anything from you. We just want to help you start your relationship with God. You now This is a room full of people that made that decision. If you've done that before, can we put our hands together this morning? and Let's just welcome some new people into the family of God today.